Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from 1 John. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Our gospel reading this morning comes from John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met, were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in his hands, that mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But, there are, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Grace and peace to you, my friends, in faith in Christ. Growing up, Ed and Hazel used to sit in that front row. Ed couldn't hear, and sound systems weren't that good back in the day. Ed was the retired pastor, and he would always tell me that I would be a pastor one day, and I legitimately thought he was crazy. <clears throat> the next row at our small country church was a, was a huge row of Packer fans, right? And they had a, a bunch of kids, and they would all wear their, their Packer coats, even in the middle of July, right? You know, the hearty Packer fans, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so they were, you know, they were kind of like the stalwarts of the congregation, they were there every week. Ed, Hazel, they were there every week. As, you know, I could look around Oli and Vina. They were there across the aisle every single week. We didn't have Oli and Lena jokes. We had Oli and Vina jokes, okay? Uh, they, they, you know, they were, Oli was 100 when he died and Vina was 90. So, like, we remembered that he had robbed the cradle once upon a time, right? So, but then I would sit next to my mom. We were about four rows back. And this, the, just kind of the memories of, of sitting with her during worship in this small country church in rural South Dakota, and all of the, you know, just the, the, the smells, the, the images, the, the rituals, you know, like getting to church early and then grabbing the acolyte torch, you know, the fire thingy, whatever it's called, right? Like we'd grab those, and it was always kind of a race between me and my other friends, and I'd always get one half of the, con- uh, one half of the you know, we'd have all of the candles that we'd have to light, and we knew which order to light them and all of that. And this was just kind of the ritual. And then I'd go, and I'd, I'd light candles, and I'd go sit with my mom, and then there would be that one part of the, the service where we would, we would dig in to the litany. Now, this all happened before I was in high school. And when I was in high school, I was, like, really cool, and I would go sit off somewhere else, and I'd be talking with my friends during worship service and get in trouble, right? But before that... Before I got, uh, got into that phase, like, there was the rituals that we would do. And, and we would have this in front of us, the green hymnal. Does this look familiar to any of you out there? Now, the green hymnal, you could, like, literally open it up, and it would turn right to page 56. This was, it was like, it was like kind of in the binding. It was like, boom, 56. Because that's where we would start worship every single week. We would, I, like, I could hear my dad say, now please open to page 56. And we'd be like, yeah, we know. We've done this every week for the last 407 weeks of our lives, right? It's page 56. You can see the thumbprints. It's like almost completely worn because this is where you got to turn the page to get to the next page, right? If we're going to continue going on in the litany. And so part of that litany that we, we would say was something that I would have memorized. It was something I was so familiar with, so, so familiar with, even though this wasn't my part, right? So it would go like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This wasn't the part that I would say, but this was always the part that my dad as the pastor or whoever was preaching would say and lead our worship service that day. And then we'd launch into that part where we would do the collective uh, confession, right? We would all say the part, you know, most merciful God and we don't, yeah, you know that part, okay? Okay, so these were part of the rituals. These were part of the traditions. These were part of the things that I grew up with, and I knew this by rote. And here's the thing. 
when I was in middle school, I had no idea what any of it meant. Like some of these words like, you know, uh, confess and forgive and unrighteousness. It's like, who really talks that way? Like, you know, they're kind of big fancy church words where they didn't really necessarily make a ton of sense to me. You know, like confess and forgive, you kind of get, but like unrighteousness, like what's that all about? And I realized that at the time, learning this and just having this part of my, part of my routine was something that I would appreciate as I would grow older. And so knowing that this was kind of the ritual and the language that we were learning and that we were speaking together, there was something really powerful about that. And so as I would grow up, now all of a sudden I had this foundation of, of things that I had learned. And then as I went into confirmation, I was starting to learn more about why we do these things. And then as I would grow into my 20s, it helped me having something to, to grasp and to understand as I was starting to deal with some of those gr- bigger questions of faith and what's this all about. And knowing that I could dig a little bit deeper because I wasn't just starting at ground zero. How do we deal with all of these different changes in, in our ways of understanding our faith? Uh, John Westerhoff wrote a book called Will Our Children Have Faith? A fascinating question to really ponder because what's behind it is how do we encourage and how do we help our children have faith and how do they cultivate that and grow with that faith? Uh, so he, he breaks down basically kind of the four stages throughout our development and thinking about how when we are in preschool, or early childhood, we go through this idea of experienced faith. This is when, you know, today is our first day back to Sunday school in person. We've been doing, uh, we've been doing things virtually. We've been able to have like Sunday school that way. But like one of the powerful parts of experienced faith is being able to imitate actions, which is why last Sunday when we got together for Easter outside and there was the part of the service where I like asked everyone to raise your hand, like you all just remembered to do that. Like this isn't just something I do. This is something we all do because we've learned these actions. We do these things together. It's like when we have the kids up here at the children's table. Why do we have the kids sitting right there? So they can see and they can mimic and they can actually be experiencing and being part of our worship service. Because why? We want them to remember these things. We want these, uh, these traditions and rituals to be part of their experienced faith, right? A lot of that, like, you know, for me, learning things by rote, that's just part of it. Like, how do we, how do we know the Lord's Prayer? It's because we said it over and over and over and over again. And so this is a huge piece of our experienced faith that leads us into the next part, and that's the affiliative faith, right? This is, this is like, as kids are getting a little bit older, reaching like first communion age, starting to enter into, um, you know, late Sunday school and into confirmation age. This is where, again, a lot of it's the experience and learning the rituals and all of that stuff and imitating what the group does, but there's also just kind of the, like, this is what our belief is. This is why we study the small catechism. That's why this past year for confirmation, we've been digging into what are the Ten Commandments? What is the Apostles' Creed? What is the Lord's Prayer? Not not just as a, like, please memorize all of this and learn it all by rote, but to actually physically understand, like, this is the stuff that we believe, and then let's start that dialogue about it. And that leads us into this next piece, and this is the searching faith. This is a huge thing because this is something I really see happen as our students who are in like eighth grade start getting a little bit more like curious. And as they start, you know, as especially when the students go from eighth grade into ninth grade, all of a sudden, not only have they like grown three feet, but they've also like, they're, they're starting to ask some deeper questions. And so this is the searching faith is when we start asking that question of, is this what I believe? And also full transparency here, I, 
I'm getting a lot of, um, I'm not sure I fully believe this, or I don't know if I believe in God, and you start getting some of those questions that, that, are, that aren't necessarily, you know, maybe our first reaction is like, <gasps> like gasp, but, but really I think the healthier response is to say, well, why do you believe that? Tell me more about what you're thinking. What do you have a sense of? Like, what, what do you think about the creation and, and the world? And it actually can lead into some really good dialogue if we allow searching faith to flourish and grow and actually have a space like Thomas. Okay, so Thomas is kind of the, the main person in our stories today, right? Jesus is the main person in the story, but like the main person interacting with Jesus is Thomas. And he's, I'll just put it this way, uh, Thomas has got a, a lot of big rocks in his life. A lot of like things kind of weighing him down. A lot of things that, that he's just trying to process. He's like, what is going on here, right? So the beginning of the story today, Thomas isn't there. So it's just the 10 disciples. Judas isn't there anymore. And Thomas is off fetching some errands or doing something, right? We don't know why Thomas isn't there, but we get this sense that Thomas missing out on this is a transformational experience because it's going to lead to what's about to happen. And so the other 10 disciples say, hey, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was here. <laughs> Just put yourself in Thomas's shoes. What are you thinking? You're probably thinking, that's a really awful joke. Or you're thinking, man, why would you pull a prank on me like this? I've seen him in that tomb. I saw him get put in there. Why would you tell me that he's not, that he came back and that he saw you? Like this, for Thomas, it's not even so much like an a doubt, I think that's actually probably an unfair thing for him. It's like a, why on earth would you even, even broach this subject and try to make me believe that he came back to life? And so all of a sudden, Thomas is in this searching phase. He's trying to figure out, like, what's going on here? We've seen this in Thomas and his exchanges with Jesus in the past. Thomas is the one, like, right before Jesus dies, where he's like, you know, I'm going to go to the Father, and the Father's going to have all these dwelling places. And Thomas is like, we, we don't even know where you're going. How are we going to know the way, right? And, and so this is Thomas's mindset is trying to figure this out. He's kind of like, like that kid asking all these questions like, Jesus, what's this all about? He's got this sense of how do I find something concrete in the ambiguous? That's what searching faith really is all about. And it leads us to this, to our owned faith. This is, this is not the, like, the no doubt faith. This isn't the, like, I don't have any questions faith. It's the, the true ownership of the not asking the question of, is this what I believe? But this is what I believe. It, it's putting some identity to what we believe. It's saying, wow, like, I still have questions and this is ambiguous, but this is the concrete thing that I can believe and I can put all my faith in and I can trust and I know that God is with me. And, and it's that experience of having God with us in our lives and saying, look, I have experienced Christ. I have experienced God in my own life and I can put some words and I can put some expression to that because I have experienced it and I know what this feels like. Doubting Thomas is probably a, a, he's, it's probably the most misnamed nickname possible because you think about, if anything, Thomas is the one who doesn't get to just see and believe. Like, he has to go through a week of doubt. He has to go through a week of, like, not even sure if he can trust his friends anymore. And then Jesus comes back and says, here I am. And Thomas makes this beautiful confession of my Lord and my God. And from Thomas, we get to have a personal faith witness. We get to have someone who, because of this experience, is willing to die for his faith. And we know that these other disciples will have this lived experience, this owned faith that's going to let them to be able to, they're going to be able to reach that stage too. 
So here we are, right? Like this is what we as the church are. We are all four of these phases, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily matter what age you are. You could be uh, someone older and, and still be in that first or second f- phase and, and need maybe a little push to say, look, let's start asking some questions. You see this a lot as people are understanding their own mortality and understanding like, what are some of these next phases in my life? These are some important things for us as a church to understand that there's a spectrum. And oftentimes we don't necessarily give room for that. We don't give space for that. And in fact, we might be a little bit scared or threatened by what happens if we ask too many questions. Thomas gives us permission to ask those questions because we've seen in the Bible what happens when we start asking questions. When we ask questions, it doesn't, it's not a sign of weakness. It, it's actually a sign of opening up the scriptures and we actually see God's presence more. Here's where the challenge comes, right? It appears regretfully that many of the adults in the church have never had the benefit of an environment which encouraged searching faith, right? Like, oh man, I'm just afraid that if I ask these questions, I'm going to be outed as someone who just doesn't have like that rock-solid faith. And so what happens is they might get a little bit scared or frightened of, well, what, what's going on if these teenagers or these adolescents are struggling? They're trying to figure out and they're trying to search for their faith and I don't quite know what I believe. So what we've done in our confirmation this year, the last thing that we've done for our ninth graders is we actually partnered them up with members of our congregation. We said, look, we just want you to talk to somebody who's, who's part of our part of church, right? They're someone who just loves to do stuff within the church. Maybe it's volunteers, it's people who've served, people who, you know, who like outwardly like to just do stuff because church is part of their life. So we just said, look, just have a conversation with them. Here's four or five questions. Start with that. But but like this isn't going to be three minutes of your life. Like talk to them. And so what's been fascinating for me is to see what's been the result, right? Because this is something that these students have just been completing in the last week or two. So I'm hearing not only just from the students, like, wow, this is, you know, they've had to kind of write down what that experience was like. But then some of the adults have come back to me and they've been like, wow, these kids are really mature. They've really got some good questions. I've really enjoyed being able to engage with them and to help them and to help them kind of understand like what's beyond confirmation. Because really, that's what this is about. It's, it's not that confirmation is the end of things. It's really the beginning of that searching faith. It's, it's we've given these kids these tools, and now we want them to start asking those questions. And as the church, are we helping them do that? In fact, are we modeling that? Are we modeling that in our own conversations, in our own households, in our own lives? This is, this is the sermon. This is the week after Easter where I give you permission. Be like Thomas. Thomas is a beautiful role model for us. So often the church has pegged him as like, Ugh, the bad guy, don't be the doubting Thomas. It's like even a euphemism that we use like culturally. Like people don't know the Bible, but they know doubting Thomas. That's not a good thing, right? Like you don't be a doubting Thomas. I'm telling you, be a doubting Thomas. Like he's the good guy. He's the one that we want to emulate. Because through our doubt, through our unbelief, through our just curiosity and through our questions, we can grow and learn so much about our faith and actually makes us stronger, actually makes our faith stronger. And here's the thing. Thomas, that week where he's just kind of like waiting around and the disciples are like, ah, you missed it, Thomas. Thomas could have felt like an outcast. Thomas could have been like, kicked out, right? Like the, the, the other 10 disciples could have been like, Thomas, you don't believe. We keep telling you, you don't believe. Well, you certainly don't belong if you can't believe. But he wasn't. And the question is why? It's because I think the disciples have been humbled. Those 10 disciples who encountered Jesus right off the bat, it's not like, hey, Jesus is back. Let's throw a party. 
What does Jesus do in the immediate aftermath of appearing to the ten disciples? They receive the Holy Spirit, and he tells them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He forgives them. What does he have to forgive them for? Can I remind you about what happened in Holy Week? His best friend denies him three times. They abandon him at the cross. They don't believe that he's going to raise from the dead. All of these things that the disciples and, the, and all of his close circle of friends have all just ditched him. You don't think that that's weighing on their minds? You don't think that that is a big rock that is like, oh man, how can we ever face Jesus again? What have we done? And yet Jesus forgives them. And they don't have to hold on to those sins anymore. Those big rocks, it might be guilt, anger, fear, whatever it is, Jesus releases that. If we haven't explored our faith, if we haven't really dug down deep, if we haven't started asking those questions like Thomas does, those big rocks in our life that kind of weigh us down, that shame, it's going to keep wearing us out. We don't get to release that. We don't get to have that burden lifted off of our shoulders. We don't get that experience of forgiveness and absolution and grace. But that's what Christ gives us. Each and every day, each and every week when we gather for worship and we do that confession and forgiveness, that is our reminder that no matter how bad you've screwed it up this week or no matter how much you've been like, oh, I totally blew it and I, I don't feel like I can face this person or myself, God offers that forgiveness. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And this is the key for all of us. Sunday school, confirmation, these are foundational pieces, but it's the faith development that springs out of it. We can't just stop there. Have you ever had questions about your faith? You ever doubted? You ever said, hey, why God? Why me? You ever been too afraid to admit it because you were like worried that that would be seen as a sign of weakness? I have. I, I mean, I still do. Yet my faith right now in a pandemic when I, I've like the whole church has been like turned upside down and it's just different. My faith is stronger than it's ever been. And my, my, my knowing that the church, that we're going to be okay because God's with us, it's never been stronger I can't wait to see what God has in store for us as the church. Those burdens often need to get released in ways that we just don't even think about. So those fears, those doubts, that shame, whatever these big rocks are that are weighing us down, I've got good news for you. We don't have to hold on to these anymore. We can lay them right here at the foot of the cross. We can cross that bridge, absolved, free. And we put them on the cross because Christ said, I, I got it. And so maybe you need to hear this. Maybe you need this reminder. 
Because Almighty God, in God's mercy, has given his son to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all of our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by God's authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. They're wiped away, clean slate, folks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.